This is Gigi Sabat, and you're listening to the Walk With Me podcast. My guest today is Dr. Riaz. Welcome to the show. Hi, Gigi. Thank you for having me. Such an honor to have you back on the show. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today on mental health and domestic violence. Dr. Riaz, tell us a little bit more about domestic violence. So domestic violence is a rather broad sort of category. You know, when people think of domestic violence, they think women who've been uh, through a lot of like trauma and abuse, but they only focus on primarily on the physical trauma. And they think that if someone doesn't hit uh, a man or a woman, it's not considered domestic violence. But actually, domestic violence includes many different aspects of it. It includes financial uh, abuse, it includes emotional abuse, it abuse uh, all kinds of like, you know, trauma that comes with that. It's all part of the domestic abuse and violence. And I think this discussion needs to go beyond just, you know, uh, oh, if he doesn't hit you, um, everything else is okay. It, it's not really domestic violence, but that's a wrong assumption. And also another thing that happens is that it always escalates. So if you have an incident that um, you know you think is just like one-off incident where your partner or uh, your significant other had this sort of altercation and you think that it would just stop there, but no, uh, statistically speaking, it always escalates. And um, sadly, it results in more violence and um, as we've seen over a period of time, people, uh, you know, become more increasingly violent and then it results in it results in very sad episodes. That's very true. Now, how do you believe domestic violence affects someone's mental health? So I've been doing a lot of research on this. And as you know, Gigi, we had long discussions. We discussed ad nauseum how mental health uh, affects is affected by domestic violence and abuse. And as uh, someone who has a history of uh, domestic violence and how uh, it was impacting me and I did not even realize it at that point, I can say that, you know, it results in PTSD, symptoms of PTSD and trauma and flashbacks. But a lot of people who are going through that don't really recognize those symptoms because it's uh, sort of different for each person and each individual. And based on their circumstances as they go through life and they have um, different experiences, those experiences shape their perception about themselves, about the world, and it's really influenced by those uh, symptoms of PTSD. For instance, you know, you might be someone who's, who considers herself to be very strong. And, and I know that a lot of women, particularly, you know, high achievers, they're meant to just suppress their emotions because uh, a lot of times they're labeled as loose cannons, you know, for expressing themselves or uh, being emotional in, in the workplace. Uh, so for that reason, a lot of times women suppress their emotions. And if there's a history of domestic violence or abuse, they kind of try to suppress that, but it just stays there. It never really goes away. So that whenever there's a trigger, like a stressful situation, you might just be in the traffic, you know, and, and, and there might be people who are honking at you and you might just have a panic attack. I mean, that's how I started having the symptoms because I thought, oh, I'm strong. I can deal with it. 
there's nothing wrong with me. But then I started having these panic attacks and that's when I realized, oh my God, I need to address that trauma. Tell us a little bit more about your story and your experience and, and the panic attacks that you were experiencing. Yes, sure. So as a physician, I, um, you know, had um, a lot of like episodes where I just had to, you know, block a lot of things just to focus and concentrate on my work. And I did not want, uh, because there's a lot of responsibility involved, I did not want, you know, my um, emotions to sort of override um, what I was doing. And like, I wanted to block that aspect of my uh, emotional side, just to focus on concentrate on my work. But as a result of that, um, those emotions or the PTSD or the underlying trauma actually became much stronger. And that's when I started having these uh, panic attacks in the sense that I would be talking to someone and I would start having flashbacks. And I was like, am I losing my mind? Like, what's happening here? Because this was something that I had not experienced before in my life. And um, I would start having palpitations. And I, if someone, if I saw someone in pain, um, you know, if a patient said something, or like, I saw somebody in pain, I would just react in a very uh, emotional way. And that was not how um, I usually reacted. So I knew that there was something wrong, that something was off, but I had no idea that it was actually linked to my um, experiences and my past events. And you're absolutely not crazy at all. And I can actually speak from experience myself as far as the sexual assault goes and, and when we talk about panic attacks and also the flashbacks. So great point there in regards to trauma in general and experiencing those panic attacks. So thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk a little bit about your experience with domestic violence. What was the aha moment for you to leave? So I think the aha moment was when I realized that it would never change that it would only escalate and it would become worse and that I had lost a significant chunk of my life and, um, you know, opportunities in terms of, um, and, and, you know, in, when I was in that relationship, I didn't even know how to experience certain emotions, for instance, joy, right? You feel like, how can you not know how to experience that? But it's just that it's, it's some when you're in that situation, you don't know how it would feel to step out and be a different individual. You're so stuck in that, and uh, the emotions that keep you stuck in that, it's like a quagmire. Like, you know, you just step into it and you're just sucked into it. Um, and, you know, it just escalated. And the reason why basically I was staying was because of my children. You know, a lot of women do that and, and people assume that, oh, you know, if you're educated, um, then you can easily just pack up and get up and leave. But that's not how it works. You know, there are lots of very intricate um, details that are involved. Uh, family lives are intertwined. It's not always easy to just pack up and just, you know, take off. So even if you have resources, people who are educated um, and domestic violence affects all um, aspects of life. And also it's not just with certain, you know, ethnicities or groups, or um, I would say social um, groups, it, 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 it affects everyone. 
And uh, for me, the point was that it's never going to change that, oh my God, you know, um, there was a point of deep grief and loneliness that I had lost a lot of connections because of the shame that I was carrying with me. And um, real I realized that that shame is not mine to carry. It's the perpetrator's shame. It's their shame to carry. I don't have to feel ashamed. I did not do this. He is responsible for it. And he should be held accountable. Very powerful. Now, you mentioned stigmas quite a bit here in regards to maybe folks thinking that this cannot happen, domestic violence cannot happen to someone with an education. Why do you believe that may be the case in our society today? I think if you look at it, women in general are very vulnerable, right? And especially women who are educated, they have to hold themselves to a certain standard, right? Um, that is expected of them. Sadly, that is a fact that women are held to a different standard versus men. If you look at medicine, for instance, you know, women who are in surgery, who are in, who are in um, very high demanding um, jobs such as neurosurgery, or uh, OBGYNs, they are held to a different standard than their male physicians, you know, their male colleagues, because, you know, that's just how um, we work. That's how our workforce works. So um, I think women have to then conceal a lot of their vulnerabilities. And as it is, you know, we tend to be generally a little bit more emotional in terms of like how we process our, um, you know, uh, emotional side, how we express ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think that's why a lot of women feel hesitant in coming forward and talking about it. And also there's a lot of judgment, not just from men who absolutely don't understand a lot of aspects of this, even though uh, the awareness is growing because a lot of men suffer from domestic violence as well. But generally, statistically speaking, women are more affected by that. And every time they come forward, no one wants to believe them. Because a lot of times the perpetrators have this really strong personality and they have um, finance, they have a lot of finances, you know, they have uh, backing of um, their, you know, uh, friends and family members and members of community who stand behind them. And we, we've seen that, right, in terms of sexual assault. Also, we've seen cases like R. Kelly. Um, we've seen Harry Weinstein, you know, people who are so powerful and that no one wants to believe the women even when they come forward. And it's the same in domestic violence, like victims, whenever they speak up, um, they're just silenced. And it happened with me also, like initially when I spoke up and uh, told my family, no one wanted to believe me. No one wanted to think that, oh, you know, he uh, he could do he's capable of doing something like that. So. Um, that's why a, a lot of women just want to just keep quiet and just, you know, stay, maintain this dignified silence because they know that even if they do come forward, there will be a stigma attached to them. And, and we've seen that uh, in workforce, you know, physicians who come forward, women who speak up, they're always, um, even if people say, oh, you know, if they support them, but there are consequences. They end up losing their jobs. They end up, um, you know, being harassed even more um, or just, you know, just being silenced. 
That's very true. Now, what are your thoughts on forgiveness after experiencing something such as domestic violence? What message do you have for individuals? So forgiveness, I feel, is, I think, misinterpreted. And it also has a different meaning for each individual. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to go back to that person, first of all. You know, if you are in an abusive relationship, you never go back to that person because that means that you haven't learned your lesson or you haven't really internalized the fact that you're worthy and capable of living without someone who uh, demeans you or humiliates you or puts you through um, through torture, essentially. So um, forgiveness is basically forgiving the aspect of yourself that um, made you stay in that relationship. So for me, forgiveness is essentially forgiving myself for um, staying in an unhealthy relationship and not recognizing the um, signs and symptoms that were making it more difficult for me to leave and uh, being unable to make that decision, uh, despite having, you know, um, the mental capabilities and the critical reasoning skills of understanding it. Like if, it, if this were a case study, I would have been able to easily come to a conclusion. But because there's so many other elements involved, it's a social sort of structure that it was difficult to actually, um, you know, move forward. And um, so the forg forgiveness aspect of it begins with yourself. You have to forgive yourself first, and then you can uh, heal from that trauma and just leave the rest. You know, you have to focus on your goals, on your achievements. Uh, what I did was I made a list of all the opportunities that I, I had lost. And there was a lot of grief involved with that because I didn't even realize that I was losing people, losing opportunities, losing um, aspects of myself. So, you know, first you have to make that inventory of the things that you've lost, your losses, and then try to like find ways to recapture that. And obviously those years of your life are gone. They're never coming back. And age is something that, you know, something that you cannot reverse, but you yet you can find new relationships. You can find those nurturing, healthy, positive relationships that will fulfill those aspects of yourself. So you have to forgive yourself for staying in a toxic relationship, for accepting the kind of unhealthy be behavior that you did not deserve. Uh, no individual deserves that. No person deserves to be treated um, or humiliated uh, in any way. And um, if you chose to stay in that, there's a lot of guilt involved once you start realizing that, oh my God, you know, what have I done to myself? Um, and when you're in that situation, you don't necessarily realize that. But stepping out of it, then you start understanding, oh, my God, there's so many aspects. And it's like peeling away um, an onion. You see layers and layers and layers of trauma. And it's just like a healing process. That's very true. Now, earlier you mentioned being alone after experiencing domestic violence. Can you walk us through some of the emotions that you felt and what if others are feeling the same way? What message do you have for those individuals, Dr. Riaz? Yes, thank you, Gigi. That's a really good question. So initially, I was in denial, to be honest. Um, I just felt like a failure. I thought uh, it 
was my fault uh, that I was being poorly treated. Uh, in many aspects, I had internalized those messages that uh, somehow I wasn't good enough, that if I had been good enough, uh, he wouldn't probably treat me this way. Or if I had been X, Y, Z, uh, he wouldn't probably tr treat me this way. You know, and you have a lot of messages from your childhood, right, that uh, you sort of, um, that play in your subconscious mind. And I think that's why a lot of uh, survivors of domestic abuse find it difficult to accept the fact that it's not their fault. Because somewhere in our childhood, we've had some sort of experiences or conditioning that made us feel less than and or, or unworthy. And, and the abuser just plays on that insecurity. So, um, you know, just just healing from that uh, is not enough. Addressing your childhood trauma, what was the root cause of that? What led you to believe that you were less than or worth, less than worthy of receiving love and affection? You know, at the end of the day, it's all about love. You know, um, we all want to be loved. We all want nurturing, kind, positive, healthy, uplifting relationships. But uh, the reason why we accept less than is because we have some aspects of ourselves related to our childhood trauma that has not been healed properly. And then we attract these people in our lives. I love it. Very powerful. Now, do you have any last words for the audience, Dr. Riaz? Yes. Um, so I've created a PTSD mental health platform. Uh, we'll be launching that very soon. It's called Hopeline. And, you know, a lot of um, survivors of domestic violence do have suicidal ideation. You uh, must have heard about that because PTSD does cause a significant increase in um, suicidal rates and has led to, deep, you know, uh, symptoms of anxiety disorder as well as deep uh, insecurities that can result in uh, suicidal ideation. So I've created a platform. It's a mental health platform. And, you know, when you're going through this traumatic event or a panic attack, you cannot just pick up a line like phone and call the helpline because a lot of times they start asking you all kinds of questions like your age, your demographics. You just want help. You want instant help. You want some tool. Uh, that you can use to just ground yourself momentarily uh, because there's the research shows that there's less than three minutes between uh, stimulus and response. Like somebody who's having a panic attack or having suicidal ideation, they will make their decision in less than three seconds whether they want to uh, backtrack or they want to move forward and uh, hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. You know, so we're creating um, and we have a patent pending for this new innovative technology using AI that can actually detect, um, you know, if the person is having um, uh, is going through a traumatic event or uh, facing some sort of like um, intense emotional um, experience and can easily, you know, detect those signs and can inform their uh, person of contact or um, we call the and call 911 from that uh, application. So we're in the process of like designing that and launching that very soon. And I'm very happy about that because a lot of people look for uh, resources in the wrong place, you know, and a lot of times when they are having these panic attacks, they don't know who to contact or what to do about it. 
So we've compiled like all these tools and resources that you can just like, you know, access instantly and, um, you know, just ground yourself till you move forward and find some other resources. I love it. Lastly, Dr. Riaz, where are you now with your healing journey after experiencing the trauma that you did as far as domestic violence goes? So uh, Gigi, I have thankfully healed quite a bit. And the reason I know that is that you have to track your uh, progress. And, uh, and that's true for anyone who's had PTSD and trauma. I know I've spoken to a lot of my friends um, who were who are veterans and have similar symptoms. And it's so true that uh, the symptoms of PTSD are almost the same. They have flashbacks, they have, you know, uh, trouble concentrating, they tend to have uh, panic attacks. So um, whenever those symptoms are, uh, you're more aware of them, and you can control them, and you can like pull yourself out of that situation is when you know that you've healed, or at least um, you're significantly better than what you were before. I love it. Dr. Riaz, thank you for being a guest on the Walk With Me podcast. Where can the audience find you? Thank you so much. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on um, my website. It's called ambrinzriaz.com. And, um, you know, send an email. I'd be happy to talk to you. And um, you can also find me. You can drop me uh, an email. Um, it's my email address is uh, on LinkedIn as well. And um, I'd be happy to chat. I love it. And ending on a positive note here, Dr. Riaz, what's your word of the year this year? Growth. Why? Exponential growth. Why? Why growth? <laughs> because I feel like I was held back in so many ways. Um, and now it's like, you know, you have that potential energy when somebody's being held back and then you release it. So then you just grow. I love it. Mine's a serve. An absolutely amazing talk. Thank you, Dr. Riaz. I appreciate you and I look forward to our next conversation. God bless you and be safe. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Gigi.